how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Boy, I feel weird. I'm not getting the right angle here on this thing. But well, thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, it's super exciting. Well, so what's your podcast going to be? So my podcast is uh, Sever the Plot Thread. It's about, Mm -hmm. you know, just spreading good information about making comics and uh, with like a special focus on helping new creators, you know, learn how to do things. That's fantastic. Very cool. Well, thank you for thinking about me. Oh, uh, the Wi-Fi here is spotty at best. So when we get really started, I'm going to turn my video off just to keep it going. But other than that, you know, I'm all ears for the hour. That's fine. Yeah, that's really exciting. Uh, so I guess I'll just start uh, by uh, saying, how have you been? How's it going? Uh, I'm doing well. Doing well. How about yourself? This is an exciting new venture for you. Yeah, I'm doing good. It is. Uh, it's been really good. The reception for the first few episodes has been very nice. I've really enjoyed talking with different creators and, and, and then just you know, some episodes, it's just me talking about stuff. <laughs> sure. Now, I, I, yeah, I originally did a podcast. I, I've loved podcasts as a listener since since I first discovered they existed and whatever that was, 2005 or something like that. And it, it was so cool to me because there's such, it was like self-publishing comics and that there was no barrier really for entry. And as long as you had a computer and an internet connection, you could basically do it, even a phone and an internet connection. But I find it hard to do it you know, I did nine episodes of my first podcast of just me talking, and that's that's really hard. How do you do it? Do you plan a lot? Do you script it all out, or is it extemporaneous? So I found the best way for me to do it is I have a bullet point list, and it just has, like, all the questions. And sometimes it's not even a question. It's more of just a theme, you know? Right. So right now it's, like, you know, questions, one, break the ice, two, intro and introductions, And then, you know, it just goes on and on there. Yeah. yeah. No, that's very smart. Very smart. Yeah. I think I, I function best in that middle ground between, you know, fully planned out and just going off the cuff. Yeah. One thing I I do when I give speeches, uh, not like my school presentations, because that's like, (laughs) that's memorized well and good by now. But a lot of times I will write everything out as if it's going to be just read and then just deliver it extemporaneously, just knowing that. If things go sideways, <laughs> I can look down and start reading something at least. That's that's pretty smart. Yeah. So how about uh, we do the introductions? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Callum Quinn. Uh, welcome back to Sever the Plot Thread. Today, we have a very special guest. Jimmy Gownley is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, he might be a superhero. I have no proof that he isn't, as well <laughs> as um, being the author of Amelia Rules, uh, seven Good Reasons Not to Grow Up, and uh, The Dumbest Idea Ever. So, Thank you so uh, much for having me on your show. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Uh, do you want to say a bit about yourself before we begin? Well, you know, I've just, I've been a cartoonist my whole life, well, most of my life. I'm 51 now, and I started, I published my first comic when I was 15 in the 80s. Yeah, I did Amelia Rolls for 12 years and eight volumes, and my memoir from Scholastic, The Dumbest Idea Ever. Uh, and uh, like I said, Seven Good Reasons Not to Grow Up was my last book from Scholastic. Yeah, and I'm also the host of a podcast called Unpacking Peanuts, where we read every single comic strip uh, by Charles Schultz from 1950. We're going all the way up to 2000. And we are we just recorded 1978. So we're, we're just a little over halfway through it. Yeah, quite quite an ambitious project. I'll admit I haven't listened to every episode, but it's quite fun. 
Oh, thanks. Well, I, it, it is fun. You know, I I was looking to do something. Uh, well, well, one thing was my friend Michael had moved to Italy and we used to talk on the phone like almost every day. And, you know, it just became a lot harder to do that when he's in a different time zone on a different continent. So I thought maybe we should schedule something so we could figure it out. But I'm not scheduling a call to just have a call. I I just can't wrap my head around that. And I just thought, the other thing that was going on is I just was, wasn't was feeling, I have had some mental health struggles through the years and I felt like I was maybe starting to go through a period where it was going to take a downturn. And I thought, well, what could I fill my life with uh, that would just be like the most positive thing I could do, I, I fill it with? And I thought, well, talking about peanuts with my friends has to be it. And uh, it is, it is it. it it's, it's been so fun for me and it has, it's really, it has changed my life. I I love every week that we get to do it. That's so wonderful. I'm really happy for you. Well, thank you. Uh, mental health can really kick in the teeth, can it? Oh, absolutely. You know, and especially, you know, people talk about creative people and whether they're more predisposed to it. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but there's a lot of things about the creative lifestyle that can certainly add to it. You know, it's a lonely life in a lot of ways, even if you're surrounded by people, no one's in your own mental, you know, fantasy world that you have to somehow conjure into reality to make a living. Uh, you don't have, for the most part, coworkers coming in and doing, you know, fantasy football leagues with you and everything. So it gives you a lot, your mind a lot of time to uh, do a number on you and you have to really be vigilant about keeping those wolves at bay. A lot of cartoonists turn into cranks in their later years. And I, I didn't want to be one of those guys. Yeah. So how did you uh, get started on this, on this whole cartoonist thing? What, what kind of uh, got you on that train and what are some of your inspirations? Peanuts, <clears throat> peanuts, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, peanuts really is in some ways, oh, I mean, it's how I learned to read really. I, I, I was like two years old. I have memories that go back <laughs> to being a toddler. I used to have a, an incredible memory, like unbelievable amounts of detail. That's long gone. However, I still have some some really early memories. And my mom taught me to read by reading these old Peanuts comics my cousins had left at my grandmother's. You know, they're the Fawcett Crest collections. And as soon as like my dad explained to me that someone draws these, I mean, I was that young that I didn't really even understand how they were manifested into our reality. And he was like, oh, well, you know, this guy, Charles Schultz, writes it and draws him and goes in the paper. I thought, well, that's just the greatest thing ever. So I always wanted to be a cartoonist because of that. And then, you know, talking about mental health, when I was 14, uh, I went through probably the first period of major depression in my life, which I would not have described as that until probably I was 40. It just It was just the way things were. I, I You know, I... In the 80s and in the coal regions of Pennsylvania, there wasn't a lot of language to describe what was going on. But in the midst of all that, my parents took to me uh, to my very first comic book store, which uh, we had to drive over an hour to get to. And I saw this comic book, Cerebus, uh, which is, if you Google it today, it is reviled in a lot of ways because Dave has taken some unbelievably unpopular political and philosophical positions and it's sort of not sort of it's completely uh, overshadowed what he did accomplish with the work which was to be a master cartoonist and one of the funniest people ever and it, it's depressing to me that it all turned so sour at the end because at when I needed this thing I found it I was 14 years old I really could not 
possibly foresee what the future would hold in any way that would be interesting to me. I got this comic book. I was reading it for the first time in McDonald's outside Wilkes-Barre and chicken McNuggets flew out of my nose. I laughed so hard. And at the table then I'm like, I am doing this. They've self-published this book. It's funny. This is what I'm doing. I don't know how. I have no money. I have no talent. I have no clue. But I am doing that immediately. And I started doing it. Like this whole story, if anyone wants to read the illustrated version, <laughs> is told in my book from Splastic called The Dumbest Idea Ever. And that that was the first time in my life I realized, even though it was just subconscious, it's that creativity was going to be a thing that whether or not it was going to be a, the way I made my living was less important than it was something that I was always going to be able to do that would pull me out of bad places. And it has so far, so which I'm very grateful for. Along with, med- along with medication and <laughs> yeah. good family and friends, you know, all of those good things. Yeah. I will say that you mentioned your book. So if you start a podcast like I did where you interview people about the books, mm-hmm. uh, this is for mm-hmm. the audience. Now you're not doing it for recreation. You get to call your reading time research. <laughs> so you can say, I'm busy right now. I'm doing research. One of the great things just about being a cartoonist is that sitting with your feet up on the desk and staring at the window is part of the job. And not only is it part of the job, it's one of the most important parts of the job. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I wanted to uh, move on to the Amelia books, which were how I found out about your work. And I... I still remember the first time I read it, I was out in service with my friend Finn. Uh, we were little, little kids sitting in the back seat. You know, our parents <laughs> were up front and uh, he gave me this book that was like Amelia Rules. I, I think it was the one where Amelia goes off on the uh, on the whole class and an angry mob chases her out of the school. Right. <laughs> Teenage guide, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And I read that and I was like, I like this. <laughs> is really cool and then i found it and I, I never remember which i if i found it that way first or if it was at the library the one when the past is a present and right. i mistook reggie on the cover for like some kind of wombat attacking kyle i don't think that's a misreading i think that's basically it yeah, he's, a, he's a wombat attacking kyle. i was like it's some kind of anthropomorphic animal in a costume attacking a guy <laughs> i'm sold that seems like quality reading <laughs> So I read it and those are just some of the most like truest, emotionally honest books I've ever read and just so funny. And I oh, wanted to ask, like, how do you do that? How do you how do you infuse such powerful emotions into your book while also keeping it humorous? That's a good question. One time. Well, not one time. My whole life. I, I grew up, I guess, in uh, it was it's the coal regions of Pennsylvania. It's the, the most famous, there's two famous things basically from the area. One is uh, Centralia, which is the town that's been on fire for 60 some years and is now a ghost town because it was completely undermined and the fire has been underground for 60 some years. And the other thing is this group, the Molly Maguires, who are like uh, labor uh, radicals and they made a movie about them. Uh, the point of this is all is it's a very hard, lower middle class, working class, poor area. People are rough people who deal with real problems they are the funniest people in the world like they were all just funny and there is nothing funnier to me than taking something that should be pure pain and in that moment finding humor in it 
that's magic, right? I think so much of, of art is processing trauma, really, and pain. Not just that, you're processing good stuff as well. But when you do arrive in a point in your career, your story, whatever you're doing, where you, you are processing some sort of negative emotion or, or whatever it is, if you can somehow magically turn that into joy, that's the greatest gift in the world. I think yeah, you know, someone like Kurt Cobain is a genius because he could articulate his pain to make it feel like he was articulating your pain. And that was a catharsis. Charles Schultz is a genius because he can take that, your pain, make it feel, or take his own personal pain, make it feel like he's articulating yours and make it funny. I thought, well, that's the highest thing a person could do. That's the greatest gift you could do if you could do this. So between those two, you know, just life influences and just trying really hard, that's what I set out to do. That's really cool. I think I think a lot of us could learn a thing or two from those books and from the way you do things. Well, you know, the other part of it is just telling, just being honest, you'll find out how limited actually human experience is. But we're very obsessed today about all our differences and they're vast, but they're, the things that unite us are so simple. And we keep all that stuff to ourselves because we feel like that expressing us makes us vulnerable and we might get hurt, but that's, it's the opposite. It's all actually, if the whole world just did the George Costanza thing of just doing the opposite of what you think you should be doing, you'd be better off. Because <laughs> as soon as you do, if you reveal something about yourself that's maybe personal or maybe uh, it is vulnerable and sensitive, it almost never comes back in a bad way to you. It only ever comes back with people saying, thank God you shared that, you know, always. It's really cool. Yeah. I wanted to ask as well, I like to get into the the kind of the nitty gritty because something that always I guess confused me about and I'm, I'm changing the subject a little bit um you feel free it's your show man what always confused me is people would be like okay you're gonna write a script and then they would move on to the next step of making comics and I'm like wait wait yes. wait 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 how, how do you write a script or they'd be like do some concept art uh then lay out the panels and publish and I'm like I don't know how to do any of that so, what's the, what's the what's it from the thing where it's like how to draw oh yeah it's like yeah, first draw two circles <laughs> then draw the rest of the owl exactly right yeah yeah so i try to be like specific with how i how i um tell people my process so i wanted to just ask you like how do you plan out your stories like do you use a notebook do you mm -hmm word yeah i i have i have every notebook except one no except two that i've kept that i have written in since the 90s and wow. everything yeah everything uh, it's on all illegible not by me but it's there i never don't have one with me as a matter of fact i can't grab my right now this is not going to be helpful to the podcast audience but i'll show it to you yeah so i got my little moleskine notebook because that's my one pretentious white thing I white person thing I allow myself yeah and it's just filled with notes and sketches and strange numbers and char character designs and everything's blurring so I don't know if you can see any of that but it, really it all cool. starts it, it all starts in there and it looks like a cross between outsider art and like a serial killer's manifesto but in there there's stuff and I just try to 
think of the, the part of whatever I'm working on that just excites me the most at the beginning. It might be to draw the character. It might be to write a scene. It might be to write and sketch a scene simultaneously. Those are the best ones because the best comics aren't illustrated scripts. Like if anybody uh, tells you uh, comics are like storyboards, they're only partly right because storyboards have to illustrate the story because you know that's their entire function is to show the plot and that's how you follow it. A comic book, there's an aesthetic that comes out of the way the whole page is laid out. The art in the panel can be contradicting the words that are being said. There's all kinds of levels. So when you can create it all at once, that's the best possible way to go. Schultz did that. Uh, he would sit and doodle in his little, you know, legal notepad uh, until a, a funny idea caught him in just the drawing stage. And that's what he would then, oh, by the way, I'm going to turn this off. There we go. He would, uh, you know, just find whatever his drawings were uh, and or do his, his drawings until he got to the point that he found something that was inspiring to him. And then he'd sit down and make the strip. So with me, it's just whatever that most important thing is, the thing that excites me the most, I try to realize it as best I can in that notebook. If I'm then inspired to then make is, let's say that turned out to be like a four page sequence of characters I don't necessarily know, a larger plot I don't necessarily know. But I still might go, all right, this is enough of an idea that I want to commit to it. So I'll then actually might take those four pages I wrote in the notebook and do them as finished art. Just see what it's like, see who these characters are, see what's going on. If that gets to the point that I'm like, all right, this is my next thing. Then I just start writing scenes, basically, in that notebook, back and forth between drawing and ballpoint pens, scribbling notes and ballpoint pens. And when I was self-publishing, I would go right from that to pages of Bristol board, you know, I would, I had an 11 by 17 page of Bristol board and I would draw on it and I would assemble scenes that weren't connected necessarily. I would have like four pages over here, two pages here, eight pages over here. And I'd look at what I'd have and then try to make a through line of it so that it looked like it was always meant to be this one solid thing. But when an actuality, <laughs> yeah, when in actuality, what it was, was me putting these little pieces together and the parts that were less inspiring to me, just make those as short as possible. If you can convey whatever information is in the, in the part that you don't want to draw down to like one panel, great. Because if you don't want to draw it, it's not going to come out good. People aren't going to want to read it. Well, now uh, you've given away to, your secret. Well, I used to think that this was insane and I never wanted to tell people that this is the way I do it. Uh, but then I read that this is how Jaime Hernandez does it. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I'm just a genius too. But the, the one time that, well, it, it, the, the examples I could give of how that approach directly affected the comics are in that book you talked about, uh, When the Past is a Present. Because I had a friend who was in the Iraq War uh, back in 2006 or 2005, something like that. And uh, he was over there for a year and I was nervous for him for a year. It's a weird situation to be nervous for a year about something you cannot control at all. So I thought, well, I want to write a story for him and his kids, but I, I couldn't do it until he got back safe just because just weird, didn't want to tempt fate. But he got back safe, so I wrote that story. 
and I was do it's called the things I cannot change and it's about a little girl whose father sent away to war and I knew I wanted to do the story for him and his family I knew I wanted Joan to be I didn't actually know I wanted Joan to be the main character I looked at the cast and realized she was the only one it could be because other people had things coming up or things that were already in their past that would have precluded this from being about them. Then I thought, well, do I just do like a very special episode? Like the thing where you bring in a new character just for that? That's terrible. But then Joan was there and I thought, oh no, this is obviously her. It's, it's not like even a question. This is her story. So I was able, but I didn't know what the story was other than I was sad that my friend was gone for so long and nervous about it. So I just did that process and just hoped against hope that there would be an ending. And I was writing it and I solicited it to Diamond Comics distributors at the time, or I, I think it's probably still the same way. You had to solicit the title uh, four months before the comic would be in shops. So I sent them the cover and a plot outline saying, this is what this is going to be about. And suddenly they gave me a two page spread in the catalog free with advertisements and an editorial and all this great stuff. I still did not have an ending to this story. So I'm just writing, I thought, okay, I'm gonna write a fake ending. I know this is a bad ending, but I'm gonna write it and just write towards it. And this will be spoilers for the, for the story, but I, I was getting towards the end and I was really frustrated and just realized this is not, not working. And I was focused on how much time I had left till this to the deadline like all right I really have to get this to the printer in four days so four days is x amount of hours and now and then I thought oh that's the ending of the book she's going to count how long her dad is away in seconds so I, I was in bed thinking this I immediately got up went downstairs wrote it all down and then because of my process it was easy to just put it all together in a sequence end it with the say with her saying I know exactly how long a year is, which is how long her dad would be away. And she counts down how many seconds. Then it was a matter of just going back to that first page and teasing that that's going to be the end. So the reader who hasn't been through my nightmarish process of creation, it's the ending was inevitable, but I had drawn all that stuff before I even realized what the ending was. But because of the process, I was able to go back, add the ending to the beginning and it looks like a unified whole. If that's interesting, I can tell you how it led to the next issue. If it's not interesting, we could go to something else. Keep going. This is this is awesome. Okay. So then I thought, well, that's pretty wild because it's like the story was there looking to be unearthed. Like it was already there. And I was just trying to figure out, you know, the, the metaphor people say, it's like uh, archaeologists when you're just trying to like take the dust away to see what's the dinosaur is that was what that process was uh, oh it's like a hidden it was like hidden which made me think of way back in like the 60s neil adams did this thing called uh it was ben casey was the comic strip and it was the hidden head strip and what it was was that if you looked at the strip it was panels telling the what just like any other ben casey strip but if you looked at it from like pull like a macro view pull back you could see that all the objects in all the panels made up one image of Ben Casey's head. Cute. Cerebus, Dave Sim took that and he's like, well, I can do it so that it'll hold, hide a poster. There's a 20 page comic, but if you take the 20 pages apart and put it together, it makes a Cerebus poster. And I thought, oh, that's neat. Both of those are cool. 
can you, hidden images in a story. Well, could I do a hidden image? And then I thought, well, wait, that story from the last issue felt like it was hidden. Could I do a hidden narrative? Could I do a story where there's another story hidden inside and you don't see it to the end? So I got the idea, I'm gonna tell Amelia's family history starting at the beginning of the 20th century and taking it right up to the 2000s at the time. And uh, a few issues previously, I had established the fact that when you see a, a, a photo album in the Amelia world, it looks like a comic strip. So now I had this idea that it was like, well, uh, we're gonna see her family history and we'll see every decade will be drawn like a comic strip from the decade that it was popular in. So that's cool. And somehow I'm going to hide a picture in there. And then I'm also going to hide a one page little story. So the idea then became, all right, you have to do the opposite of what the, uh, the Iraq story was. The Iraq story was improvising till I figured out the end and then making the ending seem like it was inevitable. This was, you have to write that one page, that ending story, figure out how it is, and then retroactively go back and put it in all the pages that led up to it so that it could be reassembled as a new story. It's impossible to explain in, a, in an audio podcast like this, but it's the thing I'm most proud of, I think as a cartoonist that I did, and I'll put, a, it I'll just, put a picture it, up so they can see it. Oh, later. okay, good. And uh, oh, by the way, oh, is this a video podcast normally? Um, and I'm, kind of. Oh. I've been vague about that. Some episodes okay. need the visuals. Other episodes, uh, sorry, yeah, well, uh, I wouldn't have. Uh, I would. I would have handled it differently if I knew. I'm sorry. Yeah, but so it's hard to do without without pictures. But it was something I was really satisfied about doing. I was really proud of. And it only came out because of my really strange way of making these comics. So if I sat and I wrote a script, you couldn't. Well, there you go. I tried to explain it and it doesn't, you can't do it that way. That's why Alan Moore's scripts are thousands of pages long because it takes too, way too many words to try to explain what you're doing visually. Yeah, I, I think that's, I heard you mention like in an interview from years ago, you said that thing that there, you know, there's a hidden image if you because mm -hmm. I got the fact that there was a, a story, right? Like right. The, if you take a panel from each of the fake comics you'd done, it makes like one narrative. But then you mentioned there was a hidden picture of Amelia. And I was like, yeah. I had that book for like 10 years. And I went, <laughs> I got it out and I looked at it. I was like, oh, there's a hidden picture of Amelia. <laughs> so talk about hidden in plain sight. It's that's fantastic. Well, that makes me feel like uh, my life has not been completely wasted. That's very good. The other great thing is I um I read the books in probably the worst order possible. Okay, so, like, well, I'm a fan of that. Go ahead. How'd you do it? So I, you know, I think it was the library was my first time. So it's the past, uh, when the past is a present. I read that. I was like, oh, this is really cool. I like this. It's funny. Then my friend, you know, let me read some of his stuff, uh, some of the other books, uh, Tween Age Guide and all that. Mm -hmm. So I had a little experience with that. And then the library got the first volume. So I read that. At some point I had read, um, I think, because my friend let me read it, uh, Superheroes. Just oh, yeah. So good. So there would be all these references to stuff that I didn't know about. Right. Um, like where they talk about Trish in, in, a, in the past as a present. And I'm like, well, I don't know who Trish is, but I assume this is all very important. And then you find out who Trish is and you're like, oh, that's. Who oh. Trish is. Well, that's <laughs> how I found Cerebus. Uh, like 
it's it's one of the most important it's the most important comic book uh to me which is difficult like i said to say because uh, it's not a popular not a popular book these days and dave brought that all on himself but i used to have to like find it at flea markets i used to have to find it at little auctions there'd be a guy that would come to the mall with comics and set up and i and i never got them in order and i i actually think it really affected the way i even the art i like i love quentin tarantino who doesn't tell things linearly i love david foster wallace who doesn't tell things linearly and i think it's just because my favorite thing peanuts the same way you know you just read a hodgepodge of whatever you could find and took what you could from it yeah that's really cool. I, it took me like twelve years of procrastination, but I finally have all of all of your books. Um, well, you know, think about this too. If you got the first one, it might not have hit, you might not have liked it as much. It's the same. This early service stuff I read like once doesn't really well, do anything for me. I totally love the order I read it in. It's very special. Yeah, and you have had a different experience than anyone else, which is great. Yeah. And it's like finding out about a friend. You don't find out about a friend in real time unless you're with them every day but you know as you learn about someone you learn about things from the past and talk about the future yeah and uh i know you have some new books that you're working on right uh i do you've got the book that i i guess i kind of referred to in my mind is that book that's like about depression and there's some skeletons and maybe like they're walking through a graveyard that's uh, basically the pitch <laughs> which i don't actually read magic stuff uh for religious reasons but mm -hmm. so like you know not to dampen your thing right like i'm not yeah. saying like oh i don't read that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well it, it's me so it's not really a magic thing it's a uh that's what i wanted to ask right is it like in his head or is it like a supernatural thing it's comic that he's writing Oh, it's a comic. All right, yeah, I could probably, I could probably. So that. it's like, uh, so wait, so when you said your friend gave you a, my comic in service, it was a church service. Oh no! Yeah, you're in the back <laughs> reading comics, not even paying attention. Uh, <laughs> no, oh. no, I'm one of I Jehovah's see. Witnesses, so we go door to door every Saturday. Oh, I see. Okay, um, all right. Okay. So we were in the back uh, of the car, mm -hmm. you know, driving around, and he gave me his book in service. I see. Okay. I love the idea that for this whole thing, people have been thinking I was being comic. That'd be amazing. I got kicked out. I went to Catholic school and I got kicked out of uh, <laughs> class for reading Cerebus. So, oh, yeah. so what are the, okay. Well, but I, it's, it's such a, it's difficult because it's still in motion. And I've recently come to realize that there's, there needs to be some structural changes made to, which is really good. When I figured out what, was holding it back it felt like a light bulb went on and and now i think i'm i've straightened out the ship that's awesome what it is yeah so what it is though is that it's a little boy who is a cartoon character because i've created him because i've failed i was trying to write this book about depression and i have failed i can't do it so i have created a comic book character that i think can and he's this kid that's this cartoonist. And I've now tasked him with the job of writing this book. So it's about him interacting. And his trick in the book, the thing that the kid figures out that I was not able to figure out is he's going to talk directly to the character. He's going to allow himself to enter the world and, and interact with the character and see if together they can get to the end of the story. So all the stuff that looks like ghosts and magic and stuff is only a comic. But then again... The stuff that's real is also only a comic. 
So it's it's about these layers of creativity interacting with each other, and then hopefully at the end, it's it's that feeling of release that you have gone on this journey, and not only was it about the characters feeling better, but that it was also about you feeling better. That's that's like a really cool idea. That well, thank really you. Cool. We'll see if I could pull it off. It <laughs> is, it, it's been it's been really tough, but. Well, I think I figured it out. I can't reveal on the podcast what I think I figured out. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah no spoilers. It that, it, yeah, just in the, I just think it was, this has to be the most personal book I've ever written. And I wasn't willing to really do that. And then I realized, well, if you don't, then just don't make it. I, if you're going to make it half-hearted, if you're not going to put all of yourself into it because you're afraid or whatever, then don't do it at all. So I just like got out the notebook and wrote, this was just like a week or two ago, 18 pages. And it felt like it really righted the ship. And then when I went back and read, I just thought it was so personal. And I went back and read it. It's like, oh, all right, it's on paper now. So now I can draw it. It's not, it was just a matter of getting it out of me and onto a sheet of paper. And now it seemed like, oh, this is just another comic I can draw. No problem. I got this. That's wonderful. Okay. Uh, Zoom is saying it's going to kick me off in three minutes because I'm okay. I didn't pay for the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I so I, I have to ask before we go, uh, how is the Tanner book and the Amelia book doing? Because I'm yeah, so well, excited to have those characters back. Yeah, they, they will come back 100%. They're published by Simon & Schuster and Simon & Schuster was just sold. So there's a lot of legal business, technical stuff that needs to be sorted out, which is a drag and a bummer, but it will be. And in the meantime, I have a really good uh, Amelia graphic novel ready. It's not finished, but I have, I think, 60 or 70 pages drawn and the whole story. And the Tanner thing is, uh, is like, as it is, I wrote, it's a 32 page story. So I'm thinking about what to do with it, how I'm gonna put it out as just, a, I think if I do anything with it, I might put it out as more like a big uh, super special treasury size book, you know, like those old ones, nine by 12. Yeah, um, that's really exciting. There's a lot of fun things you could do with that. Yeah. Yeah, I loved writing 32 page stories too. So it'd be nice to get back to it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Maybe I can have you on again when one of these books come out or, or sooner, you know, you're really fun to have on the show. Anytime um, you want, buddy. I appreciate your support. I appreciate uh, being a guest on the show and, and your interest. And I really appreciate that you actually have read the work before you interviewed me. What a dream come true. <laughs> I didn't know the bar was so low for the interviewer, but okay. Thanks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a guy just, just the other day I was or, or just this morning I was like oh I want to have this guy on and then I was like I haven't actually read the book yet so I should probably wait read the first uh, 20 pages just be like oh so in the first 20 pages don't mention yeah. anything else um, yeah you know, I was really struck by the beginning of this book. That's all. okay well thank you for watching everybody Jimmy thank you for coming on um, thank you so much sorry I'll say goodbye to everybody uh, everybody sorry. should buy 100 copies of his book absolutely all right we'll talk to you later <laughs> bye bye, bye. Oh.